0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. This morning in Acts chapter 9, we'll pick up the reading here at verse 26. And when he, that is Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out. Among them, brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. You may be seated. When I take a look at this early portion of the book of Acts and what's happening with the church, I notice something almost immediately. Notice with me chapter 9, verses 31 and 32. We're going to kind of start here, and then we're going to back up for a moment. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Now, just for a moment, understand that. If you've been paying attention the last couple Sundays, you realize that they were also a church that was under persecution. And that's when they began to scatter. So think about this for a moment. Saul is leading people. People are dying for being martyrs in the church. Saul actually leads that charge in Acts chapter 8. And, uh, and you be, at beginning at chapter 9, actually, and you begin to see that kind of effort happening. So you say, why when there's persecution, in, when there's persecution can there possibly be peace? And, and maybe the best expression of that is that the peace is given from the Lord even in the midst of the persecution. And the church is being built up in that process. Now, we're pretty prone to being safe and secure. As Americans. And we rejoice in the fact that we have peace because even on this weekend, we remember that people died so that we could have peace. But I just want to remind you that just because you're experiencing difficulty or persecution doesn't mean you can't have peace. Um, when I was in Ukraine recently, uh, Joel, that last song you guys sung, He Will Hold Me Fast, that's the song they were singing at the conference I was at. And I remember thinking, wow, I know that song. How do I know that song? How do I know that song? But because they're singing Ukrainian, it's not like I can actually Google the words and find out the song, right? And so this morning when you're singing it, I'm thinking, that's the song. That's the song they were singing, right? And yet just that morning, they'd announced that they'd had air raids because there were missiles coming into Kiev that morning. And here they were singing, he will hold me fast. And not only that, I could see the smiles on their faces while they sung it, right? You see, difficulty and persecution doesn't mean that you can't be at peace. And that's where the church was. And in that process, they were being built up. And notice, there's two other factors there. They were walking in the fear of the Lord, and they had comfort from the Holy Spirit. And that's where our peace comes from. Now, notice something else, too, that the church was being multiplied. And notice how it was being multiplied, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, now, you may remember that the book of Acts starts out, and one of the reasons we engage in it is because we wanted to keep a perspective on how we minister to the world, not just how we build a church here, but how we look out, right? Um, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to see there's a bit of a progression already happening here in Acts chapter 9. Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem. Uh, Galilee is north, Samaria is directly north, and then Galilee is even north of that. So kind of, you can kind of see it spreading out. It starts in Jerusalem, work in Judea, now heading up to Samaria, now over to Galilee. That process is happening, and that's important to realize because the church multiplying is not just the church multiplying in one geographical location, but it's the church spreading out. Now, that's all by way of introduction to say this, that's not what the lesson's about this morning. It's about two people, Paul and the Apostle Peter. But what I want you to see is that God is using these two individuals as the church is being multiplied. And, I would add this, he plans on using you here as the church is being multiplied. So here they are, two lessons for us, and then we'll unpack them. From Paul we learn that serving Jesus takes patience. From Paul, we learned that serving Jesus takes patience. And from Peter, we learned that following Jesus takes humility. And we're just going to unpack those two elements here. But for just a moment, just ponder this. In the New Testament, if you were to pick two of the most zealous characters in the New Testament story, you'd have to think it would be Paul and you'd have to think it would be Peter. In fact, Paul is so zealous that he comes in Acts chapter 9, he comes hoping to execute Christians. And once he meets Christ, he all of a sudden goes hoping to preach to get more Christians, okay? He doesn't even think about it. He just boldly goes. Wherever Paul goes, he boldly goes where no man has gone before, okay? Had to say it, right? He just boldly goes, right? That's Paul. Totally full of zeal and zealousness. And I would think that if an apostle Paul came to Fellowship Bible Church and they had that degree of zealousness, we'd say, have at it. Okay. We'll just follow you wherever you want to go. You want to go, you want to go into Mullica Hill and witness there this, this morning, we'll do that and we'll go from there. We'll go. We're just going to follow you. We're not going to put any, we're not going to bridle you at all. Like, go for it, Paul. Okay. But you're going to find out that's not how God worked it. Not at all how he worked it. And Peter, you may remember, also had so much zeal that he just always got his mouth started before he started thinking what he was going to say, okay? Um, I once heard a preacher say that Peter only opened his mouth so that he could insert his foot. That's basically how it worked, okay? So Peter was talking before he was thinking, and you're going to see in just a moment how that language suddenly shaped Peter himself, begins to change, and that's important because Peter... Is about to move out of the history of the church and Paul's about to move in. So that's going to be critical. Okay, so let's just take the first one. Let's take Paul. There's three ideas you want to know about serving Jesus, taking patience. First of all, you need to love well. And I mean by that, love Jesus well. There is no substitute for time alone with Jesus you say, well, we're in the book of Acts. Why, why are you talking about Galatians? Here's a reference. I want to show you something. Look, before you go to Galatians, look at Acts again, chapter 9. And I jumped in reading at verse 26. But if you go back a little bit, you'll notice um, in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, and immediately, this is Saul who we know as Paul in the Bible. He immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. His theology's right, okay, he's got it. And he's in the synagogue's teaching. He's not bashful, and he proclaims him. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? Answer, yes, yes. But Saul increased all the more in strength. He got stronger and stronger and stronger. And he confounded the Jews, that is those unbelieving Jews, who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He's articulate. He has his theology right. And, and you would just think, like, have at it, right? And then it says, when many days had passed. Now, you've got to stop there for a second. Because if you're reading, you're about to ask the question, how many days passed? Okay. You ready for this? Over 900. You say, what? How do you know that? You know that from the book of Galatians. Because in Galatians, this is what we read. But when he had set me apart before I was born, and he called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. In other words, Paul said, I'm just going to go preach. I know who Jesus is. I'm going to go tell him. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem for those who were apostles before me. Now, back in the book of Acts, you're going to see verse 26 says, and when he, that is Paul, had come to Jerusalem. So before he goes to Jerusalem, all of this happens. Watch this. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus, which means he was at Damascus once, and he went out, and then he came back. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Now, here's the thing. What I want you to see is, remember how I said, you just want to realize that there's no substitute for time alone with Jesus, okay? Before you just jump into serving and ministry, just know this, you have to have a a, a window of time where you have time alone with Jesus. In fact, I just kind of Googled, and it must be true because I Googled it, okay? that this is Arabia during biblical times. Now, I'm just looking at that, and I'm thinking, if I got a guy who can preach, and I got a guy who has his theology right, and everything is right, I'm not sending him there. There's not even a Walmart in that area. I want to send him somewhere where there's a lot of activity. But you know where God sends him? God sends him there for three years. Why? Paul speaks of the revelations of Christ, that he grows in understanding Christ, not simply by preaching, but by spending time with Christ. So critical. The most zealous person in the world, you'd think you would just wanna say, go get him. And God says, hold on Paul, three years away, time with me, before you go get him, okay? Here's the second idea. Serving Jesus takes patience, so be encouraged. Others' intentions do not thwart God's actions. Others' intentions do not thwart God's actions. Now, bear in mind, Paul's been away for three years in Arabia, receiving the revelations of Christ, interacting with Jesus, the risen Christ, in some way. Now, all of a sudden, he comes back and says, okay, now I'm ready to preach. Okay. And what I want you to see is what immediately happens when he begins to preach. Look with me at verse 23. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Okay, what? But his disciples took him by night... And let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, in 2 Corinthians 11, you're going to understand that even the leader of that particular area in Damascus was watching the gate. So you can only get into these cities through the gates or come into the city through the gate or out through a gate. And they were watching the gate. So his friends say, hey, listen, uh, they're going to kill you and we're going to send you over the wall in a basket. And So they do, right? Look at verse 29. And when he disputed against the Hellenists, now he's down in Jerusalem, okay? Is it going to be better in Jerusalem? But they were seeking to kill him, okay? Now, for just, just appreciate the humor of this for a moment, okay? Acts chapter 9 says that, beginning of it, That Saul had come to Damascus because he didn't like the way that people were teaching about Christ. They were preaching Christ and he didn't believe in that. And so he came breathing murder. He came, this is not good conflict resolution, okay? Saul's going to kill people. These people are going to kill him. Everybody's going to kill somebody, okay? This is not the way it should be done. But what I want you to see is that this is the environment that Saul finds himself in. But just because someone intended to kill you, that didn't thwart God's action on your behalf. In fact, it gets better. How close to better? Well, look at this. In Acts chapter 14, this is what we read. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium now... Paul's got his ministry going, having persuaded the crowns, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead, okay? You may remember that. That's when Saul, all of a sudden, Paul, all of a sudden walks back into town after they thought they killed him. But what I want you to see is this. Look at Second Corinthians eleven twenty-five through 26, and for just a moment, understand that we live in a world where everything feels safe and secure, in fact, the number one question asked of me when I returned from Ukraine a few weeks ago, the number one question was this. Did you feel safe? I just pondered that question like, why is that the first question? Why isn't the first question something like, did people trust Christ? How are the believers there? But I'm not critical of, if you ask me that question, don't crawl under the pew or something, okay? Just know that you were in the majority Everybody asks a question about safety. It's like that's the American way, safe and secure. Okay? But that's not the Christian way. Second Corinthians 11, verse 25, Paul says this. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in the sea. I, in fact, whenever you see the highlighted word, I want you to say it with me, okay? On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, from robbers, danger. from my own people, danger. from Gentiles, danger. in the city, danger. in the wilderness, danger. at the sea. Danger. Is there anything about that that's safe? Is there anything about that that's secure? You ready for this? This word danger occurs nine times in the New Testament, only Paul uses it. Eight times are right here. You ready for this? Here's the ninth time. Romans chapter eight. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or, or sword? No, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow, is that a cool promise? Okay. That when we feel insecure, we're not just supposed to find safety so that we'll feel secure. We're supposed to say this. I love singing, he will hold me fast with all of you. But I'll be honest, standing singing it with people when there was an air missile attack earlier in the afternoon and they're singing it with all of their heart is also kind of amazing window of opportunity. You see, if there's danger in your life, If there's insecurity, if it feels like something's a little unsafe, if you don't want to see the doctor this week because you're afraid what they might tell you, I'm telling you it is in those windows that we just got to know that God is operative. No one had as many opportunities to be killed in the Bible as Paul, okay? Like... I remember Chuck Swindoll used to say, listen, when Paul went to a town, he never checked out the hotels. He went and checked out the jail because that's where he's going to be spending his time. Okay. He. Oh, And just look at this for, for a moment. Take your Bibles because we were singing this this morning too um, in an earlier song. And I just, I grabbed my Bible and looked it up. Look with me at Acts chapter uh, 16 for a moment. I just want to see, I want you to see how, how, uh, And we were singing about, singing in the storm, right? Um, We were singing about that. And I was drawn to this passage again. Okay, look with me at Acts chapter 16. Um, After Paul is arrested for preaching again, verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Okay, this is not a good day. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Okay, now that's a moment where you might say, hey, listen, maybe we shouldn't have been here. Okay. Maybe we got the wrong calling. Maybe when we thought the Spirit was telling us to come down and preach here, maybe he wasn't. Okay. About midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. No kidding. Of course the prisoners are listening, because the only guys not complaining in the prison and the ones singing are the ones that were just beaten. Paul gets it right. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall so tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Pause there and understand our theology needs a tweaking. When you go through a difficult time, if you say, how do I know God loves me? You're not understanding Romans eight thirty-five and 37. Because Paul says, I go through all that difficulty and here's what I know. He loves me, okay? So, be encouraged. Others' intentions do not thwart God's actions. And there's one more. Stay active. Serve where you are today. It's the best preparation for where you will be serving tomorrow, okay? Serve where you are today. It's your best preparation for where you will be serving tomorrow. Go back with me, Acts chapter 9, for a moment. So, Paul makes a narrow escape out of uh, Damascus in a basket at night, And he goes down to Jerusalem and learned of this, that they were going to kill him. They brought him down to Caesarea, that's a seaport, and sent him off to Tarsus, which means they put him on a ship to send him out of town, okay? And then we read that the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. But I want you to think about this. He is sent off to Tarsus. Now, I have this guy that's a really zealous uh, proclaimer of Jesus. He's got his theology right. He loves to talk to people about Jesus, and the first thing God does is send him off to, uh, uh, to Arabia for three years. Okay? Now he's back, and now he comes down to Jerusalem, and now he can do the same thing, but now he spent time with Jesus. So the one thing we want to do is keep him doing it here. Right? And you know where they send him? They send him here, to the little podunk town of Tarsus. Right? Now you say, w- 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 what's he doing there? Okay. More importantly, how long is he going to be there? Because when you continue reading in Galatians chapter 2, you realize that Paul was 14 years. He says it was 14 years before I came to Jerusalem again, he, before Barnabas comes and takes me to Antioch, which means that when I put the three years with the 14 years and maybe five or six months or so in Damascus, I suddenly realize I've got to count for another 10 years. Paul is in this little podunk town of Tarsus, For 10 years. You see, you got the greatest missionary the world has ever seen ready to go. Why would you put him over there for another decade? In fact, um, one commentator says it this way. During this residence in his home territory, Paul presumably continued his witness for Christ... There we leave him until Barnabas brought him back to Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. The time span between Paul sailing to Tarsus and Barnabas' bringing him to Antioch covered some 10 years or so. These are referred to as Paul's silent years. You say, wait, are you kidding me? The greatest missionary takes three years there and 10 years here, and then finally we release him. And the answer to that is serve where you are today. It's the best preparation for where you will be serving tomorrow. If you say, maybe someday, or maybe I'll witness to that person someday, I just want to encourage you, just serve where you are now. Don't wait for something else to happen. Don't imagine or have an intention that you'll do something later. Paul serves there faithfully. And that's where we leave Paul. In fact, you're not going to even see him show up again until Acts chapter 11. Because he's down there doing ministry in his hometown, in his little local ministry body there, pastoring in Tarsus for a decade. But that brings us back to the Apostle Peter. And from Peter, we learn that following Jesus takes humility. Following Jesus takes humility. Here's the first thing I want you to see is you want to make this about Jesus and not yourself, Okay. This is how you serve well. Remember, Paul had to love wells. Spending time with Jesus, there's no substitute for that. Time alone with Jesus matters, right? But with with Peter, Peter had a tendency to make things about himself. And this passage in Acts chapter 9 almost reads a little awkwardly, right? But Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. He he, he doesn't seem to, he doesn't say, I'm going to cast out a demon. He doesn't say, hey, listen, um, in the power of Jesus, I say to you, he, he, all of that's gone. And I just want to show you a really quick little comparison between what Peter does with this man and what he did with the man in Acts chapter 3, okay? Now, stay with me for a second. Just, just see how it says it? Anais, Jesus Christ heals you, rise up and make your bed, okay? And he immediately arose, so he's healed. Look at how he healed the lame man in Acts chapter 3. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Now, notice, three times he uses the word I. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, go, go back with me and look at this one. And Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. Notice what's missing. And I would make the argument that Peter is progressing. Here is what he said. and I don't think it's wrong that he said, I have no silver and gold. What I do have I give to you. But I want to show you where it was wrong. Okay? Back in Mark chapter 14, notice what he said back there. The night that Christ would be uh, tried and the next morning crucified, Jesus said to him, that is, all of them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Now, look at this statement again as Jesus Christ heals you, rise up and make your bed. Can you feel how Peter has changed because he just doesn't talk about himself as much? Here's another way to say it. Following Jesus means I talk about him more and myself less. Following Jesus means I talk about him more and myself less. My, uh, my, my dad was a storyteller Um, he, if he was in a crowd, he'd start to talk. And as kids, we'd heard those stories so many times that when he'd start, um, we'd kind of go like this, okay? Which means this is the fifth time we're hearing this story, okay? Now, I just realized I got my son sitting in the front row. I've never told them that story before, okay? So I'm going to be doomed this afternoon, okay? Here it comes, all right? Um, I too like to tell stories. I like that interaction, but here's the thing. We should be talking more and more about Jesus, and our language should be losing the word I and me and myself. Because right? following Jesus means to talk about him more and myself less. And that's the last part of the story before we get to Acts chapter 10. In those days she became ill and she died, and when they had washed her, that is, washed and prepared her body for burial. They later in the upper room. Okay, now, just for a moment, understand, that's not where bodies go when they're dead, but it is in the prophetic story of the Old Testament where sometimes a body waiting on the to come and raise them from the dead, okay? So just know this. There's a little nuance here that's already happened that's, okay, wow, that's wild stuff. They're downstairs mourning her, and she walks through the door, okay? And says, hey, what's everything? um Verse 49, there's a little girl who dies, Jairus' daughter. In verse 49, Luke chapter 8, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house that came and said, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe that she will, all, that she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him. See, that's the same pattern Peter had. Peter said, listen, everybody needs to leave except Peter, John, and James, which means Peter has seen this before. And the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they moved from mourning to laughing. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. That's almost exactly how Peter says it. Tabitha, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And so this is the same kind of pattern that's happening over in the book of Acts. And I just want you to see that Peter followed Jesus' pattern. He totally got it. And he recognized, and this is what's the beautiful part of this story, You couldn't see those two things happening, Jesus raising the one and Peter raising the other, without saying, whoa, they're too similar. Jesus is the one raising this person from the dead, not Peter. And that's why Peter prays. E.M. Bounds once said it this way, four things let us, when, when it comes to prayer, four things let us ever keep in mind. God hears prayer, God heeds prayer, God answers prayer, and God delivers by prayer. Ian Bounds, if you're not familiar with his work, um, he was a Civil War chaplain, and so he saw a lot of death and a lot of carnage, and he would come bedside to soldiers in the Civil War and pray with them and share the gospel with them, but uh, he would pray an extended period of time, four hours every morning. And then he would, he would just write his thoughts out on scraps of paper, envelopes, and they were all kind of bound together. Years after he died, someone found all of those and published them in seven works, that, seven works that comprise the, the, uh, the, the works of prayer by imbalance. Right? But he understood that we learn this in prayer. God hears it, God heeds it, God answers, and God delivers. And that's where our dependence should be, not in ourselves. Be prayerful, Peter. Recognize it's about his strength and not your own. And finally, one last one. Stay teachable. You don't know it all now. There is more to learn tomorrow. I love this. Peter is about to do something in Acts chapter 10 that is foreign to everything a Jewish person ever believed. That is that God himself was about to start saving Gentiles. In fact, Peter has this dream, you may remember in Acts chapter 10, which is coming in future weeks. Peter has this dream, and the dream is that God's saying, listen, what I make clean, you don't don't call unclean. Like, if I'm going to start working with Gentiles, I'm going to start working with Gentiles. Paul will later be declared as the apostle to the Gentiles. That's the rest of us, because most of us in here weren't, were never Jewish. But Paul will be declared as the apostle to the Gentiles. But it doesn't start with Paul. It starts with Peter, who walked alongside Jesus for those three years. And Peter, you feel Peter's shock, like, wait, these people are becoming followers of Jesus, and they're not even Jewish, And I love that. I I feel Peter's, as I read Acts 10, I feel Peter's uncertainty there. Like, this is new to me. This isn't the way I expected it to be. This isn't, and that's the staying teachable side. And wherever there is pride involved, we figured it all out. We don't need to change. We know how we're going to be. The church doesn't need to change. We figured it out. Whenever there's that involved, there's pride involved. Whenever there's a, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe God is working that way. There's humility involved. Stay teachable. You don't know it all now, and there is more to learn tomorrow. Peter doesn't get to Acts chapter 10 until he lives through Acts chapter 9, but you begin to watch Peter now start to dwell in humility. There's two things I'd want you to think about today. One is, um, as you're you're wrestling just with these thoughts again, uh, are you serving Christ well, and that may take patience. He may be working with you more slowly than you'd like, but you can still serve wherever you are. In fact, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a little hiatus from Acts chapter 10. We're going to talk about the importance of you serving and you recognizing God's stewardship in your life. And then we'll get back into Acts chapter 10 after that, but that's the first one. Spend time with Jesus. Don't rush Christ in that. If you're zealous, that's great. And you should pursue, but at the same time recognize, if God himself is holding that back, spend time with him. Serve where you are. Don't keep looking for something bigger and better. Here's the second part. Following Jesus takes humility. Peter was never that, but he became that. In fact, just in closing, take your Bibles and go with me to John 21 for just a moment. John 21. One of the final times we see Jesus interacting with Peter is uh, when they have breakfast together on the shore. This is after Jesus Peter had denied him three times. Jesus was crucified. He's resurrected. And you may know the story. Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Each time Peter says, Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he gets frustrated because he, he, he's losing his pride and he's having to walk in humility to be reminded that he, yes, had indeed denied Christ three times even though he said he never would. And then we find this, um, verse eighteen. Jesus said, "Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. That is, you did whatever you wanted, Peter. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go." Now, that may sound confusing, but just let me, let me just kind of unpack it for you for a second. When a slave was taken to his execution, they would stretch out their hands and their hands were tied, and they would be taken where they did not want to go. In fact, they would be dressed, too. They would stretch out their hands. They would take off their clothes and put on them the slavery martyrdom clothes that they were about to wear, and they would be taken where they do not want to go. And we know that that's what Jesus is referencing here because he goes on to say, the text goes on to say in parentheses, that Jesus said these things to communicate the way in which Peter would die. And we know that Peter understands it too because Peter turns around and looks at John and says, well, what about him? Okay. Like, okay. Like if I'm going to die, like what about John? Right. And Jesus says, that's my business. Okay. But Peter gets it. Jesus says, Peter, you want to die for me? That day will come. You, by faith, will be granted courage to die for me. It's remarkable. At the end of John, God is already peeling back Peter's pride and bringing about Peter's humility. Because I love this. If you were a slave and they said stretch out your hands and you didn't, they would force you to stretch out your hands. But that's not what this text says. Peter, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. You're going to say, it's my privilege. Don't crucify me on the cross right side up because I'm not worthy to die in the way my Savior died. like And that's what God brought about in Peter's life. Father, it's been a problem. a wrestling with issues of safety and security in other parts of the world, but they're still worshiping you. They still love you in spite of the dangers they face. Help us learn to live with... A degree of boldness. Mark and Franc Gilmore, I think, are going to come and lead us in that. And uh, as they direct that, um, let me just encourage you. I know you, it's the weekend and you probably got things you're going to do together with family and friends. Work hard in keeping your mind focused on what is here, okay? Until you get out to your barbecue or whatever is coming later in the weekend. For right now, give your undivided attention and your focus. Bring your thoughts captive to Christ as we pray together for the needs of fellowship and the needs around the world. What a great message. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.